All right. It is Monday, right? It is Monday. <laughs> it's Monday evening, a little after 8 o'clock. And of all things, I never thought I'd hear myself say, I'm here at the Houston Public Library, <laughs> library with Jeremy Platt. <laughs> a place I didn't ever want to be at, but we're here. <laughs> so I, I, I'd hit you up, I think, a week ago, maybe yeah. longer. Yeah, no, a little bit. It, yeah, it, it, it all long. runs together. And I'd said, hey, let's get together, you know. And you're like, absolutely, let's do it. And I think you're something along the lines, you know, the kids and the dogs are going to prevent me from doing it at the house, right? Yeah, my, my house is not the place for this. <laughs> so I was like, man, I, I've got to find a nice, nice place in the middle. Um, you know, the, 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 for some reason, the throwdown was, let's find a library. Let's go. Yeah. I was lucky enough to find the library. It of all out. things, so Houston, the Houston Public Library District, and I assume that's the name of it, um, they deserve some kudos because actually when you go online to their website, all these little rooms, you can schedule them online. Individually book? Individually book them online. That's spectacular. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Yeah. So I was impressed because I thought I, I had envisioned um, oh, yeah. calling, calling the old lady. year old lady. <laughs> I was like, what room do you want? When? So yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I went in and requested uh, a room and got an email right back, said confirmed. and Spectacular. Other than the poor guy we had to kick out of here. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who was crushing some artwork. Hey, well, I don't know what he was drawing, but it was spectacular. <laughs> and he actually lost track of what time it was. Yeah. He, didn't yeah, know he had no was. idea. He had no phone in the room, no watch in the room, nothing. Head down, just going to work. That was awesome. All yeah. right. So this, this has been a good start to this one. The, again, I'm, this is a new one on the list for me. Just crazy locations, right? Yeah. This, is, hey, this, this is a this good one. This is a good right? spot, though. Yeah. Like, this is a spot you could come back to. You could tell so. people to meet you here all the time. I agree. You'd be all right. I, I agree. Seems like right. a nice place. So let's uh, let's get started. I, I was excited when Jeremy agreed to do this because, um, again, you know you've been here a while, right? You've been it's in Houston scary for a while. long at this point. Yeah. So, you know, you've got especially from a coaching perspective, you've got a really nice long lens to look at the Houston area through. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I know you from Kincaid. I know you from Kingwood, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know you from some of your off-season stuff, and I do. You mentioned Iron Horse earlier. Yeah. I want to be sure we talk about Iron Horse as we get through this as well. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. Someone had bumped into me recently. I'm I'm, I'm amazed at some of these lacrosse oh, yeah. podcast groupies I have at this point. <laughs> someone good. someone bumped it's, into me and did said, "Did you ever hey, think in your life, groupie, you and no. groupies would be in the same set? Like they were your groupies? That's spectacular." <laughs> No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> you now have groupies. Yeah, you can yeah. be like, yeah, I got, I got a bunch of them. Well, it, but the, the problem is they didn't want, you know, any nudity or, or signatures. Oh, that's, they, that's they wanted to hear about club lacrosse. They were like, you're talking about regular season lacrosse. And they, they mentioned Iron Horse. We want to hear about Iron Horse. We want to hear about some of the off-season teams. I was like, hey, let, hey what the people get, yeah. well, the people get right? We'll get there. Yeah, so, we'll, so we'll talk about that for sure. So, you know, as with everybody, right, let, let's kick it off at the beginning, kind of where you start, where you grew up and how you first got to lacrosse, yeah. right? Um, so I would say I was a late bloomer. I was originally born and raised in Syracuse, New York, um, which is the lacrosse mecca of the world. I don't care what Baltimore says. Um, you know, upstate New York. Uh, came to it, truth be told, and those of you who know me and see me, I'm the fat kid, and I was the fat kid back then. <laughs> um, so in seventh grade, all my buddies at middle school were like, we need a goalie. Like, I had never seen a stick. I didn't even really know what lacrosse was. My older brother played baseball. I lived on the outskirts of town, at like where West Jenny is. I lived kind of in Syracuse, basically, whereas everybody else lives in Camillus who goes to West Jenny. So my buddies were like, 
hey, we need a goalie. We don't need him this year. We need him next year. We have an eighth grade goalie now, and it's combined seventh eighth grade. It's modified. We need him next year. So can you start learning so you can be our eighth grade goalie? So my first ever time picking up a stick, my one of my best buddies, older brother, was a goalie. He gave me his old stick. I went out and I had a stick, gloves, and a chest protector, and no helmet. And they were shooting on me in cage. <laughs> what, year, what year was this? My seventh and seventh grade. Uh, what, what, but what year was it? Oh, goodness gracious. I graduated high school in 97, so count back. I don't know, 88. That's a lot of no, math. Yeah, in 92. 90, right. 91, 92. Those um, the good old days, man. No, way back. Yeah. No one called CPS on the phone. No, it's amazing. The cops didn't it's amazing. show up. Like, my mom probably didn't even know what was happening at the time. <laughs> It's one of four kids. She's like, you didn't even know. So, um, and that's where I got started. It was the spring of my seventh grade year. And then I rolled right into our summer, like Coach Moser's summer program, played for West Jenny. So Coach Moser, who was Hall of Fame, highest winningest coach on the planet, um, the best person, man, I've ever met in my whole life. Um, but his summer program is all his kids doing box, you know, so – you go in, you play an hour and a half a box, four days a week, um, play games and do skills and stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, the spring was around next year and I was the starting goalie for our team because I was the only one who was ready, who wanted to step in there and do it. So Mike Centra, yes. his family's from, they're, they're from Syracuse, they're from right? Syracuse too, yeah. So did you know the Centras at all at this point? Long, hilariously funny story. So I had, I had Michael is decade and a half younger than me. I mean, he's, so I've, I never knew them at all. But my dad, who's a Syracuse cop for 25 years, Mike's dad runs a florist shop. My dad has been buying flowers from his dad for 40 some years. And I didn't know Michael at all. When I got Michael down to Houston, when he came down in 2012-ish, he sent a couple emails. He went to Nazareth after going, after going to JD um, and then he was coming down. I was like, you don't go anywhere. I was like, Kincaid at the time. I said, you don't go anywhere. You have a job here. No questions asked. When you get down here, you call me. You're hired. You have a job coaching. From now, I'll get you employee in the summer. We'll find a way to make it work. Yeah, yeah. It was like two years later. And I was like, he was telling me about his dad's floor shop. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to set up. I'm going to try to rep the business. I'm going to set up a kind of a mother, Mother's Day and, and birthday for my mom. Flowers to get sent automatically. He's like, oh, yeah, they do that. His dad calls me like a week later. He's like, is your dad Walter Platt? I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's been buying flowers for me for 30 years. Really? Yeah, oh, my God. Such a small world. So, like, no, I didn't know Michael before we came down here. But So, what there was, so there was one summer my son played third coast. Yeah. Back in the third coast days. Back in the days. And there was one summer that we went up to Syracuse for Yeah, when he used to have them all over to their house for dinner. That's right. Yeah, oh, yeah. We went to the Centras, yeah, right? Absolutely. And there's an, there's an Italian restaurant that we went to one night. Rico's. Is that what it was? I'm almost 100% positive that they were able to oh, take it was me. so yeah. good. But yeah, the Centras were awesome because, I mean, they didn't know any of us. That's just, they didn't that's, know any of the families is, or the kids, right? He's, he's also tied somehow to the mob. Don't. Like, it's... <laughs> I say it all the time, like his uncle's a judge, like his dad runs a florist shop. I'm sure there's a back room somewhere where things happen that I don't want to know about. <laughs> but you know a guy in Syracuse, New York. No, the centros are unbelievable. I get yelled at by his mom every time I go back to Syracuse, and I don't call them. Like, really? Because they ba we're basically family at this point. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and I say he's my little brother that, you know, for, like, and we do family things with his family. And, but, like, when I go home and Mrs. Central, like, and I don't call Mrs. Central to check in and say hi, say, you know, can we catch up for a drink? 
I literally get yelled at by her at some point. So like, or he'll she'll yell at me through him, and he'll call me like, I just got yelled at by my mom for you to come home and not saying hi to me. So that's a good story. I like. Yeah. I didn't realize there was that intersection. Was, I knew y'all knew each other, right? But I yeah, didn't, I didn't know how. No, nah, man, it was cool. it was it was crazy. So, but yeah. So I got you off track. Yeah. Sorry. So that's when I started. Um, you know, and then battled up through the ranks at West Jenny, and you know, played. You know, we had, you know, 125 kids in our program at West Jenny in high school. You know, it's it is the mecca. And we didn't have any Division Two team. You know, we had to play freshman and then JV and then varsity. So uh, that depth is people around here have they don't get it. They have no idea. Yeah. So I say regularly to people, I graduated with twenty three seniors on my team. We had a team of thirty five guys. Twenty three of us were seniors. All twenty three went on to play college lacrosse at some level, like wow. NCAA college lacrosse, Division One, Two, II or Three. All twenty three guys. You only start ten dudes. Like all twenty three guys went on to play, and that's what. That program, what what West Jenny means in the greater lacrosse world, like you just, you didn't have to be recruited out of West Jenny. You just had to say I went to West Jenny, and people know knew what kind of player they were going to get. That they could pass, catch, and understand the game. So that was, you know, a very different time. And Coach Masera has moved on since then. But that's where you know I got to start, and I didn't start a game on the varsity team until I was a senior, like and. People these days. Imagine that. Sticking to it. Until you started a game, you know, as a senior. And I had to battle my way <laughs> through, a, you know, another goalie in my class. Like Who my, are some of the other – I bet you there's folks on that team we've probably heard of. Uh, let's see. On my team, I'm not sure that there are any big-name guys that you know. A bunch of guys who played, um, but no big names. Like, I mean, I played Charlie Lockwood in Syracuse Great came regularly to our practices and was shooting on us and things like that. Um, but we didn't have any big-name guys. There was a bunch of really good lacrosse players um, who went on to play, but nothing, nobody super big in terms of name out there. But, you know, there's another goalie who went to the other middle school, same year as me. My freshman year, he made JV. I played freshman. My sophomore year, he made varsity as the backup. I was the JV starter. My junior year, we're both on the teams of the backup. The guy in front of us, who was a senior, went to Hofstra and was an All-American in high school. Was a stud, lefty goalie. You know, let's not talk about those guys. Um, but and then you know, I kept fighting and ended up beating him out and started my senior year and went from there. He actually went on to be the backup at Syracuse and they won a national championship when he was there as the backup. And I went to Springfield College. You know, I went. My dad was a cop and then went to work at Syracuse University and. After a long and storied life in Syracuse, New York, I wanted nothing to do with Syracuse, New York anymore. <laughs> and I needed to get away. So I uh, went to Springfield College and learned to be a teacher and a coach and you know, played all four years there for another historically great coach, Coach Bugby, who's been at Springfield now for, I think, 35 or 36 years. You know, one of the winningest coach, coaches in Division Three history. How, how do you account for the – I mean, he, here locally – Yep. Not that there's any comparison. <laughs> so let's start, yeah. let's start by yeah. saying that, yeah. right? Here locally, after every season, there's the coaching carousel. Yeah. Yep. Same group of coaches, retreads, switching spots, yep. you know, on the carousel, starting over somewhere Except else. Tunnel, but yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, then you, I mean, 35 years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In one spot. Yeah. How does that happen? I mean, I think you find guys, I think it's, truth be told, I think it's different up there. Like, it's. 
And there's a lot of guys out there that are like that. Like, I mean, Coach Masera was at West Jenny for, I think, 43 years. Coach Bugby will be at Springfield College until he wants to leave. But there's a bunch of guys up there who find the right community and are there and have put their stamp on it, and nobody wants them to leave, and they don't want to leave, and they're happy to be teaching and coaching and, and teaching the game of life through lacrosse to anybody that crosses their path. And they just, they love doing what they do, you know? So, you know, and that's a little different than down here. Like, I am a teacher coach. Right. Like, there aren't many of us down here who are teacher coaches. Mm-hmm. And that is the model north of Virginia. Like, you are a teacher and a coach. Right. You don't get to coach if you're not teaching. I mean, it's very rare that you get those outside guys come in. So, you know, teachers are a different breed. They do it because they love it. They're certainly not in it for the money, you know, and that's... Yeah, that's we were talking about some of the other folks I've interviewed. Um, Mike Donnelly is a great interview, yeah, because he's a teacher and he's like a teacher through and through. Absolutely, right? one of the be- one of the hands down best teachers of this game, yeah, yeah. anywhere I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. I love having him on or near my kids because he can teach the game like there's no tomorrow to teach them. And it was so much fun sitting in a room with him because everything you're talking about. I mean, he just oozes passion, right? Yeah. And I don't even know that it matters. At some, at one point during the discussion, he was talking about jazz and, and, yeah. and talking about how jazz and lacrosse are similar. I'm like, this guy's blowing my mind, yeah. right? And you, there's yeah. probably a whole bunch of those dudes running around up there, right? Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, you look at, I mean, that's what, that's what I went to school for. Springfield College breeds teachers, coaches. Um, Coach Bugby's teaching and coaching tree is like, you know, the big ones here in the NFL, like his coaching tree. Off the top of my head, I can list probably the head coach at Ohio State and one of the assistants, a lead assistant at Penn State, head coach at Rutgers, head coach at St. John's University, head coach at St. Leo's in Florida, head coach at um, – and that's just flying. All of them coached for him or played for him at some point. And, you know, and as, as a head coach, and like you said, as a teacher, right, I bet he takes growing players and growing men as players just as important and just as seriously as he takes growing men and people as coaches, right? And that's yeah. why you end up yeah. with that's, a I mean, coaching tree like that, right? It isn't – with him and with Coach Masseri the same way, it isn't about the game of lacrosse. It's about the game of life and teaching the game of life. And how we – how we are successful in lacrosse is because of the things we learned about how we're going to be successful in life. Right. You know, and that was started with Coach Masera, and he drilled in repetition and practicing until you no longer thought about something. You know, you didn't have to think about doing something; it just happened. Um, and that work ethic. And then Coach Bugby talked about doing it because you love doing it and being out there for the right reasons and being out there for your brother standing next to you and family and that kind of stuff so it's that's what kind of it's all it's all piled in there and kind of leads to guys who just want to do it forever they want to teach and coach and that's what they do so they find the right spot and they stay before i forget i have to ask a west jenny question yeah while you were at west jenny did you ever once run west jenny's no well no it was was, was 3v2 continuous it wasn't west West jenny like i want to say like the first time i ever heard it called west jenny was probably when i was coaching at springfield and i was at the coaching convention so probably 2005 2006 when somebody was presenting the drill i'm like they're up there on board like oh this is west jenny i'm like what are you talking about west jenny 
Like, oh, you mean that drill? The one we do all the we did all the time? Like, you know, and finally getting given a name and now even coach will tell you it's like that's not you know, we didn't name that drill. It's just it's what we did. It just happened. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's just what we did. So So Springfield. Where is Springfield? Western Massachusetts. So right an hour from the border of New York, fifteen minutes from the border of Connecticut. All right. So, and once you landed there, what was your lacrosse experience like? Um, did you were you did you land and you were starting and playing right off the bat? Were you grinding it out like you did in high school? No, right? I, so part of my college choice was after grinding it out was I wanted to go to a place, one where I felt like home and I, mean, I looked at University of Delaware, I looked at Syracuse, obviously. I looked at um, Gaucher College, which is now a real program. They were recruiting us, my senior group, to be the first team at Gaucher. You know, now it's, they've been down here to do tons of coaching clinics down here. Right. Um, but they were recruiting us to be their first class. Um, when I got to Springfield, truth be told, and I, I was a bit of an ass because I come from Washington. I was two mile world. I was really good. Um, and when I got to Springfield, I was like, what did I get myself into? Like, there were some people on our team who weren't very good at all. Really? Yeah, like straight up bad. And I like, my freshman year, I rubbed a lot of seniors the wrong way. I'm like, my high school team would whoop our asses right now, gentlemen. Like, what are we doing? But did you, did you, did you broach that like? I said it just the just way kind I said of being a jerk, or did you broke broach it as? No, hey boys, I said it kind of around. A, Let's I go. Kinda, I kind of said it being a jerk. Like I came in as like the, I was a cocky son of a bee all the time there. Like my freshman year, like, and it was bad. And I, like I can remember my assistant coach, one of those GAs that was there, Coach uh, Miller, who's now the head coach St. John's. A conversation that he relayed to me later in life that he had with the seniors my first year. They came up and they're like, yo, we don't. Because there was a, a goalie who was there, you know, who had been there for a couple of years. I think he was a junior. And they wanted him to start. And Coach Miller said, look, I don't care that you think Platt's an asshole. Like, he's the best goalie. He's playing. That's the way it's going. And he relayed that to me years later. And I knew they didn't like me. Like, I was well aware. Um, because I, would, I walked in, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, I, this is how old I am. When I was at my senior year in high school, we went from the buckets to the original Cascade. So from the old sewn up bucket helmets to the original way, way, way back Cascade, pre-pro, so all that's way back. When I got to college, we were still wearing the buckets. And I, like, I had to go back into a bucket at the beginning of my freshman year. And I was like, are you serious right now? Like, my high school team was wearing the brand new, like, flashy, you know, the, you know, the new pros, you know, the height to fly new Cascade, and I'm going back to a bucket right now? You know, the double padded bar in the works. I'm like, oh, seriously? So, um, yeah, so I played, started all but two games in my four years at Springfield. Um, so I'm curious, so after that freshman year, so you hear so many stories, or it seems like you hear so many stories, maybe I'm exaggerating, of, of the Texas kids who go off to play somewhere, yeah. and after their freshman year, they come home. Yeah. Right? So what made you stay there, right? So you, you, you rubbed your teammates the wrong way, the helmet blows, right? All the, yeah. I mean, what, why, why when you get done with that freshman year did you decide, man, I'm coming back? Um, well, I mean, I, was, I would never have left anyway. Springfield College, when I did my college search, <clears throat> this is, I think, where we have to grow as college coach, as high school coaches here in terms of helping our kids get to the next right spot. Um, my college search with Coach Masser sitting next to me, you know, looking at schools was, 
what's the best place for his his talk all the time forever until the day he retired finally was you owe it to the guys before you who gave you the path to get a great education not to go play at a great lacrosse school but to go to get an education that you might not otherwise have been able to get because of because lacrosse. of lacrosse lacrosse yeah. is a stepping stone to a better education it's not a stepping stone to a better lacrosse team it's a stepping stone to a better education so when i was looking at schools I looked at schools where if lacrosse wasn't, he told me this all if lacrosse wasn't in the, fe- in the picture, is this the right place for you? So that's how I ended up, when I, and I, when I walked on campus there, I knew it was my home. I spent almost 10 years there. I have two different master's degrees from there. I was there from 97 till 07 when I came down here. So, um, like, it, I was there for a long time, and I knew that when I walked on campus. Like, what makes Springfield College different? Well, we need a whole other podcast about what makes that different. Um, but yeah, so you know, we spent spent four years there. We had a great freshman class. There were nineteen of us when we started. We graduated with fifteen of us still. Um, just a great bunch of guys. Like I mean, I still talk to probably seventy five percent of them on a regular basis. A lot of them are out there coaching. Coach Myers at Ohio State was one of my college teammates. Um, Coach Toner at, at Penn State was one of my college teammates. Just a great group of guys. So you know, we went deep in our senior year. Went sixteen and two on the year, made it to the final quarterfinals of the NCAA, where I played the worst seven minutes of my college career, and it cost us a game. Like, and it was I look back on that, and that's like the one thing, you know, the thing in your life. I'm like, there's seven minutes of play that cost us a game, we lost the game by a goal. Like, how, how did your teammates respond to you when that happened? Uh, I mean, there were I I remember looking on the sideline to my assistant coach, who now is the head coach at Western New England, but looking at him, and he's getting the backup really warmed up. This is. Right at the start of the second half, and like we called timeout, you know, about five minutes into my seven minutes, and I walk over. I said, "Don't even think about it. Like, don't even think about putting him in the cage. We'll get this fixed." And I turned it around and started, got out of that seven minutes by pushing the ball up the field myself and having an assist that scored a goal, and we kind of got back on track. But that seven minutes cost us a game. Um, but we were, I mean, we were a family and a brotherhood. And we weren't all playing great. You know, I just had a bad eye lean. I mean, I'm sure they all say at some point that part of their that game, they had a bad game. Right. You know, um, and we all played the pity party thing. We had that year. We were 15 and one, 16 and one after our regular season, or you know, 14 one whatever. I think we won two tournament games before that. Um, and that year, we had destroyed Middlebury College. We went up to Middlebury and beat them, I think, 18-6 to six or something on their home field. They ended up getting a higher rank. They stayed in the northern division of the NCAA, and we went down to the southern division. And we were all pity party about that for ourselves, feeling bad for ourselves. And I think that eventually led into how we all ended up losing. But because um, the only loss we had on the year, we lost to Cortland State in a snowstorm playing at Cornell. It was nuts. So we had a you know great career with a whole bunch of guys who really love teaching and coaching. I think seven of our fifteen seniors are still coaching. I think ten of those fifteen guys are PE teachers. I, wow! You know, it's just what can we do? Is what Springfield yeah, yeah, that's know, awesome. produces. So yeah. So you said you were there for ten years. Pretty much, yeah. So after you finished playing and you were continuing to study, yeah, were you engaged in the lacrosse program? Yeah. So. Um, 
So I graduated in the spring of 01. I took my first coaching job after I graduated in the spring of 01 at Longmeadow High School, which is right around the corner, kind of a powerhouse in Western Mass, um, and helped them make it to the state championship this that year. Just went out and coached their goalies with another Springfield grad who was the head coach there. Um, the year after that, I went, I had to finish my fifth year of undergrad at Springfield, but I weren't three miles around the corner was Western New England College, was now Western New England University. Um, but I went three miles around the corner and followed my assistant coach who took the head coach job there. And him and one of my graduating senior buddies coached there for two years at Western New England College as the assistants. Um, so I did that from 01 to 04. And then in 05, I went back to Springfield for my second master's, 05 to 07. I coached at Springfield College before coming down here as a graduate assistant. Did you, when you coached, when you went back to Springfield and coached, mm -hmm. were there any boys on the team that were teammates of yours? No. So that, yeah, that was one year removed from anybody that wasn't a freshman. So there's a bunch of guys who have gone that path, and it's a, it's a tough road to walk. It's right. hard to go from the shoes of playing with those guys and doing the things you do on the weekend with those guys to turn the corner and now you're coaching those guys. Um, and I think truth be told, some of those guys who have done that would say they weren't as successful as, as coaches because they were trying to walk that way. Um, it's hard. It's, I mean, it's even still when you're a 23 year old kid or 25 year old kid and those boys are right there and you right. know, you're probably doing the same thing on the weekend that they're doing. You're just doing it in a different spot. <laughs> yeah, you're, I was going to say, you bump into them at the bar every yeah, once absolutely. in a while. Right? <laughs> you know, so, but I think you learn a lot about how to deal with kids at that point too. You learn, I mean, and truth be told, I've had, I would say within my high school coaching career, I think part of my success is being able to talk to high school kids about that life. Like, hey, I know what you're doing on the weekend. One, you got to do it less. But two, if you're going to be a big boy at night, you got to wake up and be a big boy in the morning. Right. You know, three, if you're going to make those choices, you got to understand that it's going to have an effect and how long it's going to have an effect. And I can speak to that because I've lived that, you know. Um, but, yeah, so that's, that, it's, that's hard. I think really going back and trying to coach guys that you played with is difficult, you know, especially if you weren't. Some of the best coaches that come out aren't the best players. I think to have that respect, though, right. and go back, and that, that's, a tough, that's a tough road to walk. So, um, but, yeah, so I never coached any of the guys that I played with. I, now I coached. When I moved across the street to Western New England, I did coach a whole bunch of guys that I played against. Like my senior year, Funny story, my senior year, my wife would tell you this, like how the how we met story. She went to Western New England College. She would tell you that she that we first met, she was over at Springfield College watching them play us my senior year. We beat them 29-3. It was bad. They were real bad. One of the kids at the game, it's only like three and a half miles, like total, took his stuff off at halftime, left them on the bench, and we walked home from their team, like walked home. <laughs> And she will tell you that she was yelling at me from the sideline, and I heard her and, like, responded somehow. <laughs> we met, like, three years later when I was working there. But that's the story she'll tell you. That's when we first met. I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, play, I coached a bunch of guys that we played against. Um, that was difficult, but not as, because we destroyed them. Like, they weren't competitive with us at all. Um, and when we got over there, we took those guys to the NCAA tournament for the first time ever. In our first year there, and we beat Springfield, which was, you know, good or bad. You know, we shouldn't have beat them. So when you were, when you went, 
when you took on these coaching roles, mm-hmm. did you find yourself coaching goalies? Were you did you were you coaching offense, defense, head coach, I assistant was coach, all the above? Most of the time, the defensive coordinator and a goalie coach. Yeah. Um, I'm really an attackman at heart, so I coach mostly offense now as much as I can. Um, but um, but yeah, I was I for the most part all through college through my college coaching career was the DC and goalies coach. Yeah. Why do you say you're an attackman at heart? Because that's what I think I should have been. Like I was I'm really, really like, I'm really like, and when you grow up and we play box and and upstate, like you get a chance to play everything, um, and we don't play box in the traditional box sense. Like I never another funny story like. When we when you play box in upstate New York and Syracuse at West Jenny, you don't get dressed up in box goalie equipment. You play in regular, you play field goalie stuff. And I really want to say that our goals were five by five. Now maybe it's been a long time since I've been back there. Um, we played in the hockey rink, you know, there wasn't any turf or anything. But I never put on box goalie equipment ever in my whole life. And y'all played with a, a legit regular ball? Goal, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So it's probably my freshman or sophomore year home from and I didn't come home very often once I left. Like, I, we was always working lacrosse camps and all that kind of stuff at Springfield College. So I come home, and much of my buddy was like, hey, we're going to go down to the reservation, and we're going to play a box game. Now, if you've never been to a reservation box field, it is awesome. Most of them are outdoors. They're not covered. So we're just driving down this road on a reservation. Now, there's no street signs on reservations. Like, you better know where you're going or else you have luck. You turn the corner, and it's like Field of Dreams. All of a sudden, the woods open up, the cornfield opens up, and there's two box, like, outdoor box rinks just sitting in the grass right there. Really? I'm like, whoa, awesome. So we jump out, we go play. I have on my regular stuff. Like, I'm wearing my chest protector, my glove, my helmet, and that's it. You know, like, I go walk on the field, and all Native Americans are like, what are you doing? Like, what do you mean what I'm doing? Like, I'm going to play box. I'm like, oh, this goal's really small. Like, like, are you going to play like that? I'm like, yeah, how else would I play? Like, I wasn't like... When I was growing up, I wasn't, like, super into, like, finding out about it. Of course, there was no internet and all that stuff. It was very different back then. Like, you right. couldn't just go readily access, like, what it looks like to play box lacrosse. Like, I knew that I had always done this. I'd done it at show all of my life. So I go play, and I'm, like, they're literally, I mean, first of all, it's a, the goal's tiny. Like, this is, I think in my sophomore year, so I was the fattest I was. I was, like, 240 pounds as a player. So I just got on my knees. I played goalie on my knees. I can stay in the cage and go pelted and I think I earned a lot of respect that day and it was it felt bad at the end. <laughs> but like that was like I've never seen box goalie pads ever. Because it like nobody at Joe ever wore pads like that. Like but may attackment and heart thing like I would run all over the floor man at West Jenny every player had to do stick drills the same. So like goalies got warmed up 30 minutes before anybody else showed up to practice and then when practice came, like, you were in. Like, your goalie stuff was done until it was time to be a goalie again. Right. Ground balls, stick lines, everything. Goalies did all of it, and we're expected to be every bit as good at all of it. Yeah, it's interesting because here, I, I, historically, I've tried to have goalie-specific practice. Yeah. Um, so many people don't. So many people just go to practice, and they throw the goalie in the goal, yeah. and he gets pelted for two hours, and yeah. they call that practice. Yeah. Right, yeah. I like the idea of having goalie-specific workouts, and then the rest of the time, you're they need to be like working it. on the stick. Yeah, yeah. Right? like so, like summertime, Coach Masera's workouts. Like we had, once you get into high school, you play box at night. So it's like the box league goes Monday through Friday at night from five till midnight. 
and sprinkled in there are the adult league guys, us, us in there playing in the box, and you, right. you were in charge of getting your own team together and finding your own sponsor. Like, it wasn't done for you. Like, you wanted to play box in the summer, you better find a team, you better find somebody to sponsor you, you're going to pay the injury fee, and you're going to go do it. Um, but during the day, like, at school, you know, for an hour and a half or two hours, skill work, like, it was shooting, it was defense stuff, it was ground balls, sometimes it was goalie stuff. But, like, if it was shooting workout day and I showed up, guess what I was doing? I was with my goalie stick shooting workout. Like, that's what we did. Wow. We were expected to do everything. Yeah. It was like, what's this? What's going on today? You want, right. You're going to be a better lacrosse player today. You're going to learn everything that everybody should know. Which now I recognize, like, I push my goalie. And I go with like, coach, I'm like, your job is to know everything that everybody has to do in this field. Because I want you talking to all of them about all of their jobs. That's your job. But it's unrealistic because they never get put in the position to ever learn what an attackman's supposed to be doing. Right. What a defenseman's supposed to be doing. Like they're never asked to learn all that. So I realize that I'm always I'm like, I know this is more than you've ever been asked to do before. I know this is more talking than you've ever been asked to do before. But this is how I want you to learn. This is how you're gonna get better. But so I did it all, like forever. So I'm an attackman heart. Like so I love coaching offense now. Like, oh wow. Because that's what I want. Like I go back like after doing I mean I did goalie camps in the summertime for 15 years straight. I went to a peak performance goalie school. I can shoot. My highest clock time is 103 on, on the gun, back with the original edge, like way back in the day, like 98, 99 when it first came out. Um, so I love shooting and I love offense. And I stood in front of it enough times. I know it works. <laughs> like I've seen it come out all the time. So, yeah. So, so how did you end up in Houston? Right, so you said 2007 sounds like you wrapped up yep. in Springfield, yep. right? So you came directly from Springfield here? Yep, I did. So my wife and I you know, gotten engaged. We were engaged for like five years. Got engaged, gotten married the summer of 07. But like, so the way that Springfield works is when you go back, you're a grad assistant. So like my second master's at Springfield, I was a grad assistant. I was coaching. From there, it was like, okay, it's job search time. Like, college is over. You're finishing your master's. You're done with your coaching. Like, so you start to put the applications out, whatever. So, like, I had applied for a bunch of Division three head coaching jobs. You know, I'd spent four years at that point coaching at the college so level. You, so you, you knew at that point your profession was going to be Teaching and coaching, coach. yeah. Teaching and coaching. So yeah, yeah. started putting the feelers out there and had a bunch of interviews. And the wife had a bunch of interviews because she's a coach and teacher as well. And, um, you know, this – the guy who was here before me, I know him, Ryan Frost, who was the Kincaid coach prior to me, coached me in college. He was one of my GAs when I was a sophomore through my senior year playing. So after he got done, he came down, found the job, and took it. Well, I saw the job post opening. I knew he had it. I picked up the phone and said, hey, what's going on? Why are you leaving? He's like, oh, you know, we're, just, we're looking to move back north. We're going back in your family again. So I asked him about the gig, asked him about Kincaid. He's like, dude, Every bit as nice as any D3 school you'll coach at. Like the money, the fields, the access, like, you're good. So came down and took, looked at the wife. I'm like, dude, we just got married. Do we want a new adventure? Like, we want, like, Northeast people are Northeast people for the most part, usually their whole lives. Like, they never leave. And I was, that was not me. Like, I'm not that dude. I looked at her, I was like, this is a shot. You know, I'm in Texas. Who knows how long we stay? It's a good gig. You won't ha you won't have to work. She ended up getting hired at Kincaid on our drive down. I was to gonna Kincaid. say she yeah. yeah yeah. So like on our drive down, the AD Cindy Goff now lives in Nashville. 
She's driving down. She's checking in on me as I'm driving the moving van. I'm like, "Hey, how you doing?" Now, mind you, this is cell phone time. We're like, gonna pull the antenna up and like, this is costing me a dollar a minute. <laughs> but she goes, "What's your wife doing?" I'm like, well, "I shouldn't have a job yet." And she had finished her degree in athletic admin. I'm like, "I oh, know she's applying it." You know, like A and M, Prairie View, A and M, and a bunch of schools around here in Houston. And she's like, "Does she want to work here?" I was like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "Well, we got." PE teaching, she's not a teacher. She goes, she doesn't need to be. We'll figure it out. She can coach, right? I'm like, yeah. She, you know, she's a three-sport college athlete, my wife is. So oh, wow. Like, yeah, she ran cross-country, played basketball, and played lacrosse in college. Like, you don't hear that very wow. often. Wow, no kidding. Right? Um, so they hired her on the way down. So that's how we ended up. Like, you know, we looked at it. I was like, yeah, let's go try something new. You know, and it was, it was, it's a spectacular place. You know, we were super happy. They hired us both, like. We were coming down. We only had one car at the time. I'm like, we don't need two cars. Funny story about moving down here. I'm on Google Earth way back in the day trying to find an apartment that's close enough that I could walk or ride a bike to, to where Kincaid was. Looking at Google Earth, I knew nothing about bayous at this point. Like, there's no such thing as a man-made river in the Northeast. It doesn't happen. <laughs> like, we have real rivers. So I'm looking at Google Earth. I see this big patch of brown. It's an apartment complex off Woodway Drive, which is off Westheimer. Kincaid's behind it. I'm like, oh, look at that. Like, literally right through the woods. Boom. I get down here. We get moved to the apartment. It's like three weeks later. I'm like, I'm going to go see if I can walk through the woods to get to work. Go walk and boom. Hit, run into the bayou. The buffalo bayou that runs between Westheimer and Kincaid. I'm like, oh, you're going to be kidding me. But yeah, so that's how we ended up down here. Was we were trying a new experience. We were looking for something new and fun to do. So when you landed here, were you... Were you teaching at Kincaid also, or yeah. was it just strictly a coaching gig? No, teaching. Or? So it was full-time okay. teaching and coaching. What so were you I teaching? Teach motor, PE. Oh, right. Yeah, so I was, I was a, my second master's in physical education, so that was, you know, teaching PE. I coached football. When I first got down here, I coached basketball and then lacrosse. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I morphed from football. I was like, it was way too hot in August for me to be outside coaching. So I, after, f- I think, five or six years, I got, I moved myself inside to be a volleyball coach, which is awesome. And I didn't want to be inside. I only coached basketball for two years, and then I got moved outside to coach soccer. And then I always coached lacrosse. So when you came down here, did you drag any of your previous coaches or teammates down here to coach with you? I did not. Like When I got down here, um, John O'Malley, who long-time staple at Kincaid, I think he'd been there since 96 or 97, um, was still there, and, and I got hooked up with him with Frost. And between Frost and I, had found a couple other guys who played at Kincaid, Chris Yachmick, um, you know, and that's how I built the staff out, but I didn't drag anybody else down. They were all, again, Northeast folks tend to stay in the Northeast for the most part. <laughs> but so, so this was, I'm trying to think, 2007, who else was bumping around coaching-wise in uh, Houston at 2007? So way back in the day, um, uh, obviously, Sam Chambers was at St. John's. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Donnelly at Episcopal at that point. Um, Tinnell was a middle school coach. Dave Seal was the head coach at Woodlands. Um, Block was at Strake. No, maybe it wasn't at Strake just yet. I don't remember. It's a long time ago. Um Bulmer, obviously. Bulmer's yeah, been, Bulmer's been forever. there forever. Yeah. Um, but those are the guys. Like Those are the guys that are still kind of around in Cancun. Did you know any of the coaches here locally before you came here, or it was just Another strictly? Another hilariously funny story. 
the Mardi Gras tournament, the men's league tournament. Okay. So it's 2003 or four, maybe somewhere in there. Um, Ryan Frost, who came down, you know, was coaching at Kincaid, calls me up. He's like, hey, we're playing the Mardi Gras tournament in February. Want to come down? I'm like, sure. I was up coaching, living in the room. I'm like, yeah, what the hell? Well, I got nothing else to do. So I fly down. I don't remember much of the weekend. Like, it was me, him, Adam Quistel, uh, Mike Block, a bunch of other people playing on this Houston team at the Mardi Gras tournament. Fast forward a decade, you know, five, six years, and now I'm down here, and Block's like, did you play the Mardi Gras tournament? Like, Adam Questel pulls out this black and white photo of us all at a bar. Like, all of us. I'm with all the Houston coaches at a bar on this team, you know. So I didn't, never, I didn't know I knew any of them. I knew a whole bunch of them, you know, because we all – Donnelly may have been on that team. Like, there was a ton of us. Like, you know, just this Houston team. That, yeah, yeah. And I got flown down to be a goalie. Well, we found a goalie. We only had like 14 dudes on the team, so I played field the whole weekend. Like I didn't play a single ounce of goal. I didn't step in the gate once. They attacked me in the heart. So, was there? I meant to ask you about this earlier. There was. I thought I heard a story about you play, playing professional lacrosse. At I did. Yeah. You yeah. skipped that part. Why I did. did. Why did we skip that part? It just happened. You know, there's lots of. There's <laughs> lots of uh, so yeah, so 2003, the summer of 2003, I played for the Boston Cannons. So this is while you were back in Massachusetts, back in still Massachusetts, in school, right? Still in school. Um, I had just finished the first year of my first master's degree. I was coaching at Western New England College. And actually I had a tough decision to make. Like I got called up there pre-MLL. MLL started in 2001. So pre-MLL, there was a bunch of really good club lacrosse, like really, really high-level. Brian had a team, STX had a team, really good high-level club lacrosse. So when I graduated, I started playing on those teams because you know, I wanted to keep playing lax, like all of right. us do. We didn't keep playing until you can anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and that happens, and then the MLL starts. And one of the guys I played with, Bill Day, you know, was a former UNC goalie. He was the Cannons coach for a while. In 2003, he played for the Cannons in 01 and 02. In 2003, he took over the head coach job. And he gave me a tryout. He called me up. He's like, hey, we're looking for a goalie. You know, we, they had... Another guy who I knew very closely from goalie camps, um, you know, so he's like, well, for a goalie. And I got paid for a whole season to be a backup goalie. It was, I was like a backup quarterback and the best job on the planet. Like, well, it depends on how much you got, got paid. I got paid, I got paid to play lacrosse. There aren't many dudes on the planet who can say they got paid to play lax. I got paid like 600 bucks a game to show really? up and dress on the sideline, get a warm-up. Occasionally, I'd go out pregame and let dudes shoot on me, like, from the 15-yard arc. I'm like, cool, it's only 15 yards away. We're good. And then, like, stand on the sideline and cheer. Yay! And side autographs afterwards. Just, like, so, was it just the one season? One season, yeah. So, it wasn't – That was a, that's a legit story, I it's heard. It's a legit story, yeah. I still got the helmet. Really? <laughs> yeah, I still got the helmet and the gloves. Yeah, like, it was – I think I gave away the chest protector they gave me, but I had the helmet and gloves. Yeah, I played, yeah. It was, it was awesome. But I had to make a decision that summer. A bunch of my other buddies – we're getting coached by um, a guy who was taking the team to Australia that summer to go bounce around Australia for three weeks and go play. So I literally I'm in my room, you know, talking to Jay, going, "Do I spend twenty five hundred dollars just to get there and live? That's not the drinking spending money. Right. And go to Australia, which I, I can't wait to go to Australia. That's like on the bucket list. Or do I stay here and get paid to play lacrosse? And I stayed to pay, and then I got, you know, so we did it." 
It was back in the day, like the MLL, way back in the day when we played on a bunch of baseball stadiums. The like we weren't playing at Harvard Stadium in Boston yet. We were playing at up in Lowell, Mass. Um, at this you know little podunk field. It wasn't it wasn't a real thing yet. It was on its way to being an okay thing, but it wasn't you know. But they gave me a whole bunch of stuff for free and cleats and the whole works and yeah. And you got to sign autographs. I got to sign autographs. Yep, I still got my signature now. <laughs> so how long were you at Kincaid? Oh uh, seven to sixteen, so nine years. That's a long time. It was good. It was a good stretch. It's a good stretch. Uh, it's a yeah. long time. Yep. And then you went directly from. You went straight from there to Kingwood, right? I did, yeah. Yep. All right. So yep. what? Why the change to Kingwood? Uh, well, Kincaid didn't want to have me employed anymore. That's another That'll whole. That'll do that's it. A, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So they, uh, you know, some stuff happened, and then again, that's a whole other podcast. But you know, that, so then that summer, I bought, I'm also the associate head coach of the Ireland men's senior national team. So so I'm, there's so, so there's some overlap there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Leading up to the 2016 Euros, European Championship, Mike Arnold, no, Chris Arnold, not Mike, Chris Arnold, who was the Kingwood head coach, and who had coached internationally before, gotten hired as the head coach for the men's senior national team to go through the Euros and then into Worlds in 2018. So he was putting together a staff, and he called me. Really, because I think I was tied to Kincaid, and he knew I had access to some people who might have some funds that help pay for that type of thing. That's how the uh, international game works, exactly. right? <laughs> you're footing your own bill. So, so he called me, and we were sitting at the end of our coach's dinner at the end of Euros, and um, he he had already you know he when he got hired at Kingwood, he told them six years. I'll give you six years here. He's from Florida. I wanted to yep. go back, and I'll give you six years. So he knew he was done. Um, at the end of that, they kind of did a search and ended up giving the job to Mike Block, who, of his own account, didn't really want it. Like, he was like, I don't really want to be the head coach, but you're going to make me it. Whatever. Was he on the staff already? He was already on the All staff. Right. So it was like him, Chris Arnold, Mike Block, Taylor. I remember Taylor. Yeah, a bunch, bunch of guys. Um, and they ended up giving it to Mike, who didn't really want it. So we're sitting at, that, at the Euros in Hungary. And Chris gets a call from the board president. He says, Mike just resigned. You know, we're three months into the, not even three months into the Mike Block experiment at Kingwood. And he resigned. I didn't make it through August. And he goes, funny, I'm sitting right next to Jeremy Platt right now, who's looking for a coaching gig. And he's like, all right, when he gets back, I'm like, so like we set up the interview literally right there at the dinner table. And I came home, I went up and interviewed and, they interviewed some other people, and I got hired. You know, later that history. Day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chris, Chris's name inevitably comes up in these discussions. Oh, good God! Yeah, Man, Chris I mean, is awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Um, but don't give him too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> he's a full-on pain in the booty. Uh, but yeah, no, he's uh, so yeah, I I love coaching with him. I so love. so when you took the role, so Kingwood feels different to me, right? Because up to that point, you were a teacher and a coach. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully everybody who's listening knows the difference, right? King yeah. was private, or I'm sorry. Kincaid's private. Kincaid's yeah. private. King was public, right? And here yeah. in Texas is not a sanctioned sport. Yeah. So, 
you're not teaching anymore. Yeah. Not necessarily associated with lacrosse, right? Yeah. Is that good? Bad? Did you did you think about that? That it. So one of the things that's most was most exciting to me about the public school world versus the private school world, and I notoriously have not done my full like when I first took the Kincaid job. I didn't really look into like what the state of Texas looked like at that point, like what the state of lacrosse in Texas looked like. So I didn't even really know it wasn't sanctioned. Like my school had it fully supported by the school. Like, right. I never even thought. Like I'm, you know, the night like I didn't, even, I didn't spend much time thinking about it. So once I got down here, I'm like, oh, like it's not sanctioned. Like it's not, a, it's not a sport. It's a club. Like, it's a sport at our school, but it's a club everywhere else. So there's all sorts of rules in the SPC and the private school world about the amount of time you can practice, when you can do that, which is very different. How, how many of your kids, yeah. quote, you can practice with, yeah, right? Like it's, just, it's, just, it's a nonstop, forever balancing act of like what you can do, what you can't do, pushing the limits, not pushing the limits, trying to do it the right way, follow the SPC rules. So like once I got down here and got into it, it's like, oh, yeah, there is some allure to the other side of the world. Like, how good could you be if you had access to those kids all year and, right. you know, and go that Well, you know, true to form, like, you know, really pay attention to what some of the challenges are on the other side of that world. But, you know, and I was like, okay, King was a really great prospect. They've got a great youth program, a big youth program. They have their own dedicated youth fields for the spring. Um you know, a really good parent board who's got their head on their shoulders the right way, who, you know, understands their role in making the program happen, but the coach's role in then running that program. So when you took it, when you took the Kingwood job, it was, it was, was it everything, right? It was from uh, the, so the, it the was little the, guys it all was the way. The option to... for everything. Okay. Um, at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't all tied into one, and it still isn't technically all tied into one. I do both. I direct the youth. And and the head, the head coach program head, but it's not like it's two kind of separate boards and separate decisions. So I could at some point, if it ever you know came to it, I could say that like the youth, I'm gonna step away from the youth. Yeah, you can step on the step on the gas or pump, yeah, you know, pump you know, the brakes so, or whatever you want to do, right? Um, but it, it gave me the opportunity to have a hand in every single thing that a kid ever did. Very similar to the way I grew up. Like you start them, you put them through, you finish them, you move them on. Was that was that something that was already in place with with Chris and then briefly with with Block or was that you know bottom to top was that something? Uh, that... No, so that was, so Chris had done a lot of that. Okay. Um, Chris had helped kind of put all of that kind of into place and he had kind of formalized. Right when I came in, they kind of separated out like the director of youth lacrosse as just a position, you know, separate from coaching youth lacrosse. Um, so he had kind of put that all in place. But when I came in, I very clearly said, like, my expectation was, like, I want to be both of these. Um, so I think some of the, even some of the youth parents were there, or some people that overlapped, like youth board and high school board, were there. So I can say that to everybody. Like, the thing that makes this job most enticing to me is the ability to, to have them to be able to direct the youth program and then lead them into the high school. Did they... Mm given that breadth of control, I mean, do you have like a budget that says, hey, this is my coaching budget, right? this is my equipment, do you have the, the freedom to go out and hire coaches? Yep. Do they set some minimum requirements for coaches and you have to go find candidates within that context? Yeah, or? so, I mean, coaching in Kingwood is the, coaching in Houston is the problem, but coaching in Kingwood is an especially, it's a special problem. 
but King was not near any. Very similar to you out in Magnolia. Right. Like, Might as well be on Mars, man. Exactly. It's literally, it's near nothing. Like, they call it the Kingwood bubble. It's a real bubble. Like, it's over here. People kind of know it's over there. But nobody really knows how far away over there is right. or what it really takes to get to over there. So, like, it's been a constant battle finding coaches. But, yes, at the high school level, like, they say, hey, here's your coaching budget. Like, here's the, what you can pay coaches. Your, your salary is going to come out of this. Figure out what you're going to pay yourself. What you're going to leave. But they, did they tell you, hey, here's the five requirements to be a coach? Right? Or, or was no. it really just, it's on me hey, Platt, go, go find, knock yourself out? Go find the right guys. Go okay. find the guys that are going to help us grow. So, um, and that's for the youth, too. Like, the same goes for the youth. Like, hey, go find. But really, you know, we're kind of going backwards into, like, there just isn't enough lacrosse knowledge that lives in and near Kingwood. It's all in Midtown, man. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> and then when I tell people, I'm like, listen, your coaching stipend of three grand, let's say we're going to pay three grand for a sprint. You can't get a dude, that doesn't cover somebody's travel right. who lives downtown to come to a six o'clock practice. You nuts? 59? Yeah. At six o'clock? You might as well shoot yourself in the face with a gun yeah, rather yeah. than do that every day. Like, so you got to find, so we've kind of molded back and let's find that we're starting to get some dads of, Kids who play know that we're players at Kingwood who are back in town, have kids, want to get involved at the youth level. At the high school level, we're, you know, we're working to find coaches. Last year, it was me and my assistant, who that was did. a teacher at the, at the school, who played at the school. Those are the only two coaches we had in the high school. Was the was his he was he was a teacher at, at He's a, he is a teacher at Kingwood High School. Yeah. Is so is his involvement by design to develop a relationship with the school or is it just hey he just happened to be interested and So I think so he predates me and he was with he was on Arnold's staff. Um, he is the club sponsor okay. at school. Yeah. So um no listen to some of the other podcasts we have exceptional an exceptional relationship with the school and the ISD as a whole. Um I think part of it is due to having a sponsor in the school. Um, but we've also worked hard at kind of facilitating that. Um, but he predates me as a coach. He was the JV on the JV staff for Kingwood prior to me arriving. Um, I think he was there for two years prior to me. And then I brought him up to the varsity staff, and he's been with me on varsity ever since. What, what is your role in that relationship with the school district versus, like, the board? Yeah, so <clears throat> I love Chris. Chris was never so fuzzy with the fuzzy touchy with the football guys in the, in the administration. So previous to me, that was a very angry, like, I have to do this because I, like, there was no working together. From the second I got hired, I said, my first three steps are going to be the principal and the football coach. I'm going to be sitting in that dude's office. And I was. All year one, I spent sitting... I was in the football coach's office once every three weeks, just sitting down talking, like drinking coffee, eating donuts. I was jamming myself. I was. We were doing off-season workouts there. I said, "I want us to be part of this campus." A block had helped. They did a good job helping us start that path. Like in the summertime, they were lifting at at school, like so he had started it. But I was like, "We're gonna keep it on." Like, we're gonna. And from the day I got here, every single practice that the high school has ever had, when we could is at the high school. Every game that we've had is either at the high school or at Turner Stadium, which is the, the ISD Stadium. Um, Y'all hosted playoffs last year there, right? Two years in a row we've hosted yeah. them there. So, um, so, but when we jammed that, I 
killed him with kindness as much as I could. Now, that relationship has since strained a little bit because my current seniors were freshmen when I got there, and 90 95% of them played football. Now none of them play football. And that, so that has strained that relationship. Yes. Um, but, and then they was killed, like Harvey happened my second year. So like, they were out of Kingwood High School. They didn't know if they were gonna get back in. I literally never saw a football coach once the entire year, because they were down in Summer Creek. So like, I never saw them. Like we operated most of our stuff out of the youth fields that year. I'm, I'm blown away how y'all kept. It was amazing. They kept the team going, right? It was, it was After Harvey. Like that year was crazy. We practiced from 8.30 to 10.30 at night because they didn't have to go to school until <coughs> noon because they were sharing summer creek high school. So they didn't have to be at school till noon. I'm like, right, my life's going to suck. Like I'm, I was, I had been, I restarted teaching. I had to be at school at 8 a.m. I'm like, I can teach till 10, coach till 10.30. You know when you're coaching, you don't leave the field in a half hour right. at least. I'm like I'm leaving at 11. 45 minutes back to where I live on the other side of town, getting home at 11.45, and you're jazzed up, you're ready to go. It's like 2 o'clock, I go to bed, I wake up at 6, I'm like, let's go, time to go to work. It's craziness. But it worked, you know, we got we got to figure it out. It was great, it was great. No, no, it You mentioned, I took a note earlier, you when we were, you were talking about the move from Kincaid to Kingwood, and you talked about the, the challenges of public schools versus private schools. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. what were those challenges you were referring to? So, you know, the Mayor Kincaid, you have everything you could ever possibly need. Everything. Full-time athletic trainer, fields, whatever you Lights. want. Lights. Lights, whatever you want them. A big old budget. Like, you need team helmets. Like, And at Kincaid, it's extra special. It's like at Kincaid, St. John's, Episcopal, extra special. Like, not only is it privately funded, it's really well privately funded. Oh, yeah, to give some so, context, right? I think Kincaid has the largest high school, private high school endowment in the country? Uh, not anymore. It, was, it, ne it never really was all the way up there, but it's certainly one of the... Oh, okay. Certainly, all right. I mean, it's got a whole lot more money than most of the Division three colleges on the planet, like by double or triple. So they're doing okay. Uh, <laughs> so At some I, point, I, enough's enough. Yeah, <laughs> I, used to, I used to joke. I used to joke as a kind of a regular thing for me. I never heard no. When I was there, like, I want to go get this. Sure. Go ahead. Go get it. I want to buy 37 new helmets that we own to have the, the varsity team have helmets. Go get them. Go ahead. Like, I need 75 sets of new equipment for youth. Go get them. I want to start a youth program. Go do it. Like, they never said no. All right, go do it. Fine. We're going to build a wall. $50,000. Go do it. Here's the spot. Go do it. Whatever we needed. Whenever we needed it. Wow. Um, you know, I want to take a trip to Austin. Sure, go. Hey, we, do we need to do a fundraiser for that? No, we don't do fundraisers. Just go. I'm like, all right, cool. Come on up the road to Kingwood. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's figure out how we do this. You know, and I'm sitting now with a parent board now. Like, I used to deal with one person, the AD. And that was it. Right. Now I'm in a room with 12 people who all have, you know, my kids were at school. I saw them every day at school. I could track them down whenever I wanted to. Now I never see them at school because I'm not at school. Now it's hard to get a hold of them all. You know, it's, I never had kids mixed practice. Now, yeah, you know, you got all this stuff going on, you know. I don't know where Jimmy is. Where's Jimmy? I'm asking everybody text him right now. All text Jimmy. That was one thing I, when I talked to Donley, he and I, I, 
he placed a real high value on having access to the boys during it's the school so day, important. right? So important. And I was jealous of that. It's, I, I originally, like, I don't have a Texas teacher certificate. I could probably get it pretty easily. But public school world is, te- public school teaching world is not my, I like teaching 18 kids, 20 kids. Right. I don't want to go teach 60 kids. That's not what I want to do. Um, but I originally was like, I'll get hired on, like, because I want access to those kids all the time. Like, lunch meetings. Let's go watch film at lunch. Easy. Yep. No problem. Now, hey, huddles up. Go watch. I'm going to check and see and make sure you're in there. Are they actually doing it? Are they just turning it on and go walk away? Who's the melt? I don't know. Like, so that part of it is, is difficult. Like, the when I first got there, like, not having access to the field whenever you wanted it. It's huge, like huge difference. I remember when you were at Kincaid, and this was a long time ago. I don't remember the exact circumstance, but it was a, a men's pickup game or a men's practice or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm probably going to get you in, in trouble retroactively no, at no. Kincaid. But I remember we... I don't care anymore. We, yeah, we, <laughs> we showed up in Kincaid. Yeah, we got we on the field and yeah, we played, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, that was... Unbelievable. That was, that was back in the day. Like, yeah, yeah. We have turf. Let's go. Let's go. Absolutely. Like all the time. Now I'm at Kingwood. And again, my whole thing is we are a, we are part of the school. Like we were never part of the school before. Like if I got there, I'm like, we're going to be part of the school come hell or high water. Like our fall workouts are going to be out there on those fields. Like where's the space I can use? I'll go figure it out. Right. For, the, for the first part of the first year, like we would do our stuff like in the outfield of where they sh- do the shop or through the disc. Like that was our space. That's what we could find. Um, and then when spring came around and we're out there practicing, like, we're kind of dancing around other programs and making sure we fit. I can't go on the real, the football practice field. I can't go on that. This is going to mess up in football. I can have these two other side practice fields, which aren't real fields. They're not full length. They're not 100 yards. So, no. But we made it work, so that was a huge challenge. Um, and it's just the budget itself. Like, you know, trying to figure out, like, how do you plan and plan for a trip? Like, I like to travel as a team. Like, part of traveling as a team and going to play other teams is that team bonding time that you get sitting on a bus. Right. Like, we always had team buses at Kincaid. You can get to Kingwood, parents are driving to most places. Right. I'm like, that has to go away. Like, when we go out of, out of town, we all need to ride together on a bus. Well, that's a cost. I know it's a cost, but it's a worthwhile cost. Like, it's one that's important. Like, I know it's a $1,500 bus cost. But it's an important fifteen hundred dollars that we spend. Do y'all practice right after school? So, do you, are you leveraging daylight, or do you? So, my first year we were. So, my first year we were right after school, and that was a big thing for us. It's like, hey, three thirty, we're on the field. Why was that a big thing? Because, bef- you know, later on, early before me, when they were practicing over in Sparity, it was like, all right, let's one. And I think they used to do it in Sparity at the youth complex, like at four. So they were right after school. But you gotta travel over there, you get there. Kingwood at the high school, we just gotta walk outside. So that was like a big thing for them. Just to be on campus and do it. Well, I was gonna say, was there anything to just the visibility of being on yeah, campus? Just, just was being, that a thing? I think it's a really big thing. Like just to be accepted as we were on campus all the time. Like we were there. We were part of the school more. I went to Troy Kite, who's the Umbel ISD AD. Probably mid-September, if it lasted that long. I said, hey. We want to play some games in Turner Stadium. 
in year one, we played three games in Turner Stadium. They hadn't played in Turner, Turner Stadium in over a decade previous to me. We played three games there that first year. We played, I think, six games there second year. Um, he was great. I said, listen, these are all humble ISD kids. Like, 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 I'm not asking you to move something. Right. Tell me when it's open. Right. Tell me what Sunday it's open. What's the fee? Like, we'll pay it. We'll come play. I mean, it's been, that started a great relationship. Now, he and I are great. I can go in there and paint without any supervision. He opens the door and I go. Like, it's been a great relationship. He's been spectacular. He's had a couple of quotes where um, after Harvey, all the ISDs, or all the high schools got turf. He was quoted in the paper saying, it's great. Now place, now our clubs like lacrosse have a place to practice on their high school campuses every day. I've practiced since we got in turf. Every single practice has been at Kingwood High School under the lights. Awesome. Like we practice now 5.30 to 8.30. JB goes 5.30 till 6, 5.37. Varsity goes, you know, like 6.30 to 8.30. Um, but they're all on the turf under the lights. Are you are you paying for the lights for practice don't time? don't pay a dime for any of it. And that's like... That's the, huge. It's unbelievably huge. Like Sterner, my assistant, who's our sponsor, has a key to lights. The first year there, this is one of the greatest stories I have. The first year there, the baseball coach was an unbelievable guy. He comes out, sees us lugging these big backup nets because I'm trying to keep everybody safe. And so I got these big, you know, the big bow net backup nets. And I'm lugging them around. He goes, hey, you want to put those in our baseball shed? Imagine that, a baseball coach at a public school saying, you want the lacrosse guys to put that in our baseball shed so you don't have to lug it all over the place? I was like, dude, that'd be unbelievable. He goes, you know what? Here's a key. Gives me a key to his shed. Take a key. Here's a key to the lock to the gate so you can get whenever you need to. Done. No questions asked. Been spectacular. That's good. I mean, I don't think, I mean, to, to your point between the difference between public and private, and I've harped on it with other people is, the, the lights, it's yeah. a huge deal, Absolutely. right? And Absolutely. I, I know of clubs here where their practice field costs are yeah. killing the program. Absolutely. Killing it. Yeah. And the, and the idea that you have that kind of access yeah. is pretty unreal. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is, like I said, I mean, we have worked for it, and we've been good stewards of it. I think that's the other side of it is we've been granted the access, but we've also, every time I leave, we take... I make sure the place looks better than when we walked in the door. Like, I'll stay and mop a floor if I have to, so that when they when we leave and they come in the next day, it looks like we were never there. But that's but therein lies the problem, right? It's, yeah. they have they granted Kingwood lacrosse access or have they granted Coach Platt access? And when Platt leaves, yeah. then what? So, right? I really, so I really think for us. I'm not predicting your departure, yeah, no. by the way. <laughs> so I really think for us that they have they've granted Kingwood lacrosse access. Okay. Like, and I really mean that because Troy, I think, provided that should I leave, should I, whatever, provided the next person simply does what I did and go make yourself known, make yourself aware and in a positive manner that we want to do everything we can to make this a positive relationship that we want to keep it going the same way it's been going and to work hard to be good stewards of that relationship. I think that's where I've been here a long time, you know, and I was always used to talk with about SciFair with, you know, the different, the, the battle that SciFair has with the ISD out there. I've 
had it moved. You, I'm, sure, you, I'm sure you've lived it. <laughs> uh, and I, like, I've had no, like, but I've also worked really hard to be really nice all the time. Um, since I got there, I can't win. But again, I think who's up at the top of that ladder, Troy Kite, has been spectacular. The humble ISDAD has been unbelievable. Well, that's the, in, in, in my, my dealings, and I've dealt with two school districts now, yeah. My dealings with them is I, I kind of differentiate between educators and bureaucrats, yep. right? A bureaucrat's going to push the envelope to do what's best for the kids. Club sport, school sport, sanctioned sport, don't care. Are my yep. kids playing it? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's do something. Yeah. Right? Versus the bureaucrat who's like, well, there's no precedent for this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, you can't technically have a key. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that's a total bummer. Yeah. So um, I think in a, like, that's the one thing I would say. Like, I would love for my relationship at Kingwood to move a little further into... Like right now, if you were to ask the Kingwood football coach, who is also the athletic coordinator, I think they're what they're called there, who the head coach of the program is, he would say Will Sterner. Like, I get some of this might be that he's upset at the number of kids who have walked away from football to stay with us. Sure. And I think he blames us for that, but it's, truth be told, it's not us. As a, I don't tell him that. But he doesn't want me to email him. Like, everything that I want to do at the school has to go through Sterner as our club sponsor. Right. It's like, when I want to book the field, I tell Sterner, book the field. It's not a big deal. I mean, if that's what but, it takes, right? But that would be the next step that I would love to see. Is like, hey, how does it, how can, it can be you and I having this conversation rather than me having to go to him and him go to you. Right, right. But, I mean, it's, I'll take it the way it is. We're in such a great place that I would never change it. Like, yeah. And I already booked all of our spring practices on the turf. It's like, go put our name down. Every day, 5.30, 8.30, starting January 1 through May 30th. That's unbelievable. You know, and, and then we'll, we'll get kicked off. Like, you know, in the spring last year, we got booted a bunch of times for, like, middle school soccer games. Like, okay, I can deal with that. I'd like to know. Give me a heads up, right? Yeah, a little heads up before <laughs> five minutes before I arrive. You know, hey, coach, uh, there's six graders the on the field. The there. We get kicked off the turf. There's three fields over here that we can go play on. As long as I know a little bit ahead of advance, we can adjust our practice times. We can figure it out. So, but that's – so it's great. Like, we have an unbelievable relationship. So what um, – so you've been around long enough in Houston. I can ask you this question. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about, about, about this before we booted the – Aspiring artist out of the room. <laughs> um, what's what's working in Houston right now, right? And what's not working? Because you know what you and I talked about was the size of Texas, the the geography, the space involved, right? Yeah. The distances. You know, you've got four distinct markets right now, oh, and yeah. they're all behaving very differently, yeah. in, in my opinion, oh, yeah. as, as far as lacrosse goes, as right? As can be. Yeah. So so what's what's working and what's not working here in Houston right now? What's working? Man, it's a tough question. Um, in Houston specifically, man, I'm not sure what I would say what really works. <laughs> and that's probably a bad thing. Um, I think that's an answer right there. Right? Yeah, I think that's a bad thing. Like, I don't know what I would say what is really working well. Because I, I think the, the answer is, you know, here you are in Kingwood, right? And you, yeah. you've, you've developed a relationship with the school district. Yeah. Right, and, and you've made huge inroads, yep. right? Then go to, again, Cy Fair, yeah. right? Yeah. They're not going to give you the time of day in Cy yep. Fair. Yep. Right? They refuse to. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, 
when I was dealing with SciFair and starting up the SciWoods program, my ace in the hole yeah. was my wife. Yeah. She works at a public high school, yeah. and she just happens to know education law inside and out. Yeah. So when I'm talking to the associate superintendent, you can, you can spit it back, right? But my tax dollars are paying for X, Y, and Z. And they and say, "Well, no, you can't do that." And I say, "Well, I can." Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but it, it's just crazy that the, and then you look at Volmer. Well, you mentioned Volmer. Yeah. We we talked about this with someone recently. Volmer's he's the godfather of lacrosse oh, in Houston, yeah. Yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. And he's still practicing at South Campus. Yeah. 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 Right. It's just so the the experience is just so disjointed here in Houston. Yeah, so I, I that's what I was like. I don't know what's really working well here. Like, it's hard to put a, a nail on. Like, we do this really well here. I don't know that we do. I don't know that we do anything anything really really well here. Yeah. Like, it's so different. Like, I think Austin does things a lot better than we do. But I think their geography and their setup allows it to happen. You know, like we talked about before. Um, Goodness gracious, just making a mess over here. Um, right there on the on the collar. There we go. Oh, there you go. There we go. Um, like we talked about before, I think the you know the way school districts here are growing and splitting and all this like it's I don't know like I don't know that we do anything especially well in our our youth league is kind of a mess right now. I don't know what's happening like there. It's so you know I think it's there are some individual programs who have an idea of what's going on and. When they're run top down correctly, I think you're having some success. But citywide, what do we do well? well I don't know. I, th- I didn't realize, and this gives you some idea of how, I don't know, disengaged U.S. lacrosse has frankly been for years in yeah. Houston. I didn't even realize there was no longer a Houston chapter of the U.S. lacrosse. Oh, yeah. I, I, I only know that because my wife now involved, she was. Yeah. But, I mean, I, mean, I know that, like, when Stacy McKay kind of stepped away, it's kind of they just kind of disbanded the whole yeah. chapter. So uh, it's like, man, even that? Yeah. I mean, it's, right? it's, like I said, it's not, there isn't a whole lot that I'd say we do really, 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 really well. I don't know if there's any one thing that I'll put my finger on. Like, I feel like there's... I mean, as I travel around and talk to people for this, I was telling a friend of mine, and this is, we're reaching the same conclusion here. I was telling a friend of mine the other day, I said, by doing this podcast and talking to all these great people, I've learned two things. I think the sport itself is as, is as unhealthy as I think it is in Houston. Yeah. But I also think on the other end of the spectrum, there's more people that I realized here that are passionate about it and care about it yeah. and are trying really hard to do stuff. Yeah. Right. But it's just a shame that it's based just on those people, right? Yeah. And it's not, there's something not more institutional. I use that word a lot, institutional. There, there's no framework. There's no governance. There's no, no, there's no institutional yeah. aspect to this, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's you getting to know your AD, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's where the statewide, I had that conversation with Joe Donahue this afternoon. I was like, we're going to go and we're going to have this state meeting at the high school level this Saturday and, talk about new state proposals for alignments. I said, Joe, you're not going to come up with one program that works for everybody. Right. But I did tell him, I said, if you really wanted to do what I think is best, you'd start putting together a group that really wants to do some work on where is it working and why is it working and how can we help where it's not working as a state group. Like when I realized I'm putting that on a whole bunch of people who volunteer their time. Right. I said, I get that. But if you want to, if, if you want to help as, a T, as the THSLL board, Go put together a group and figure out where it's working well. It doesn't really work super well in the Woodlands. They're really good, 
but they're not welcome folks on their high school campus. They just want a state championship. You know where their trophy's sitting? In one of their parents' houses. How do I know that? Because I had that conversation with Daniel the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, they're not super welcome folks at their well, high school. They, yeah, they don't practice or play. They don't, play, they don't do anything. At a, at a school facility, they right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do nothing there. Um, occasionally get a classroom to do some film. But, like, where is, where is it working well? At, the, like, at outside the private school level, where is it working well? And how can we facilitate it to work better there? Right. Like, I think that's where the support needs. Like, if we really want it to grow... THS alone needs to focus on th- that piece of the puzzle. Forget, I would honestly, if I was them, say, pick three coaches from each region, let the regions vote on who those three guys are, put those nine dudes and 12 dudes in a room, and say, figure out how we're going to run the state. Well, the yeah, the key word you used there, and I think Blake used it too, right, was coaches. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's the key word. And I, and I said that to the youth. Like, earlier this summer, when the kind of the youth of Houston is kind of going through clearly some some drastic changes, I said, my one suggestion to you all would be to get as many parents out of this and get people who are interested in the long term of Houston lacrosse involved. Those are the varsity head coaches. The long-standing varsity head coaches should be the ones who are running the youth program here, deciding who goes where, deciding how it gets done. Because they have this long-term vision, not this, how do I get my kid an eighth-grade championship right. vision, which right. is the most flabbergasting thing I've ever heard in my entire life, ever. <laughs> we So when, back in the day when, I'm trying to think of me, Bob Wallace, Chris Arnold, yeah. uh, Mike Alsterbrooks, we all were serving on the board together for, I don't know, two, three, four years, whatever it was, with yeah. GHYLA. Yeah. That was one thing we always aspired to was the idea of a corporate board. Folks yeah. that didn't have a kid involved, right? Yeah. They were just here to do good by the sport, yeah. right? That's what you aspire yeah. to. Because yeah. um, otherwise you just have folks who are trying every year to turn as many knobs as they can for their mm-hmm. kid and their team so they get yeah. that giant trophy that you talk uh-huh. about. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, I got to have that eighth grade. I mean, it's one of the most frustrating things on the thing. I, I, and last spring, I mean, that's one of the frustrations of being a part of the – I helped start GHYLA way back. I was like, Kincaid didn't have a program. GHYLA was in year two or three at most. And I was like, that's it. We got to start a youth feeder program. And we got involved. And that's when it was just one day a week. Like, teams were practicing one day a week and played another day. Everything happened on the weekend way back in 07, 08. And we did that for like three or four years. And then it started to get, you know, we're practicing two or three times a week. And we're playing on Saturdays. Well, at Kincaid, I could play, practice on Saturdays and I could play on Sundays. Why? Because I was coaching all the rest of the days at the high school level. So we got, I backed out of it probably 10, 11-ish. And that's when I think new guys came in and were running GHYLA and I didn't have any idea what was going on. And then I came back as the king went out. I'm like, what the hell is happening in this room right now? That's interesting because I never <laughs> knew the history behind why Kincaid got didn't out. participate yeah. in GHYLA. That's why. Like, we were in it. Yeah, yeah. But then it started to get, it was at the point, like, we were getting killed because I had these poor little fifth and sixth grade kids who were all also playing baseball. But one day a week I could get them to practice with Saturday and then I could play on Sundays. Well, like, that used to be cool. Like, way back in the day, that was like, all right, that's awesome. And all of a sudden it was two days a week. Right. And it was three days a week. And we're getting rung up, up one side and down the other. And I'm like, this just isn't right for us anymore. This isn't helping us grow. You know, like, our kids are getting throttled. Because right. they touched a stick once this week before they came out on Sunday. Like, that was it. 
You know, we're playing the Woodlands. We've had three, three practices this week, and they're they're on their second game this weekend. I'm like, we got, we're out. So that's why we that's why we left. That's like, good history. I didn't yeah, know like, that. And that's why we had to leave. I was just like, I would love to be a part of the getting getting us up and rolling. And then I was like, this ain't for us anymore. Like, I'm sorry, boys. Like, I'd love to be able to keep doing this, but I don't physically have the time. There's only so many hours in the day. It's literally like, I I spent like probably a year and a half before we finally pulled out trying to figure out how I found time under the lights. King Kincaid would have given me the lights. We'd have been practicing fifth and sixth graders at nine o'clock at night, which some crazy ass parent would have done. Like if I had asked them to, they'd have showed up. I'm like, <laughs> can't you get home go to bed? <laughs> but like that's that's how it was working out. Like we had, you know, the baseball field and the lacrosse the football field at the stadium and those are the two places that had lights. And the only hours left in the day were after all the games. Like, it ain't going to happen. Sorry. Oh, man. Yep. Um, so, let's talk, we have, I haven't talked to anybody about off-season teams. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you're affiliated with Iron Horse now. Yep. yep. Um, and was this y'all's second summer? Second this is our first, first summer. It was our first summer. Yep. So y'all came out gangbusters, right? Yep. And the only thing probably wilder than the regular season scene is... Summer lacrosse, baby. Summer <laughs> lacrosse. Summer lacrosse summer scene lacrosse. around here. It's, yep. it's unbelievable the way you see... We were talking about Third Coast earlier, right? Third yep. Coast was such a great flash in the pan. Yeah. They had this stellar first year. I think there was maybe a strong second year. The third year, they, they got way over the tips of their skis. Yep. And then it would just disappeared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about. I know Iron Horse obviously isn't local. I think it's Dallas based, right? Uh, is that so correct? It, it, no, well, no, it is now like. So well, it originally started in Dallas. Okay, uh, uh, that's what I meant to yeah, say. Bad. Yeah, sorry. So it's its home base was Dallas. It grew to Austin and Iron Horse Austin. It was just Austin kids, and then for years, the Houston guys were choosing to either drive to Austin or choose to drive to Dallas. Um, and Chris Saran and Chris Delfoss, who are the Austin and Dallas directors, had been at Keith and I for a couple of years to to start an Iron Horse Austin. They were actually at Centra in Centra's last year of Third Coast to buy out Third Coast and turn it into... Really? Yeah. Um, there's, there had been discussions about it. And that didn't go anywhere. And Centra was still kicking himself in the ass for that. Um, but... Um, you know, they finally, you know, Keith won the championship. I had just come off the Worlds with Ireland. And, you know, we talked and came up with our game plan about what we wanted it to be. And we're like, all right, if we're going to do it, this is the way we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. This is where we're going to be. So it's it's affiliated, I guess it sounds like, with Austin and Dallas. Yeah. But you're running it all here local. Is yes. that an accurate yep. statement? Yes, we are a franchise. Okay. You know, Austin, right. Iron Horse Houston is a franchise of Iron Horse. Same as Iron Horse Austin is a franchise. And do y'all, I mean, are y'all sharing coaches, methodologies, training? Are y'all traveling together or are they really three separate entities? So we talk a lot. We don't share any kind of methodologies. We don't share any coaches really. Um, but the Iron Horse name um, kind of gets, gets the kids, all the kids, a little bit of something extra in terms of kind of just visibility out in the world. They have, they have access to some tournaments um, just because of the name. We do an Iron Horse Texas team for a couple of, like a, a Naptown tournament every summer. Gotcha. Um, and then the Philly Showcase tournament in the fall. 
we put together an Iron Horse Texas team, kind of an all-star team of the three areas. Um, but we're kind of operating on our own under kind of the umbrella. Um, and we are, Iron Horse Houston, I would say, is very different from Austin and Dallas and kind of our path forward. Um, we came into it saying we will never have more than one team per grade and we will never play in-state. We will never play an in-state tournament. It's interesting because off-season, a lot of times, there's this, there's this struggle with these off-season teams, and you have tryouts, and you, you collect a bunch of boys, yeah. and then the then you try to figure out, okay, where what tournaments are we playing, right? Yeah. At that time, it's too late because half the boys will travel and half won't, and yeah. you're trying to yeah. you know scratch teams together. Yeah. So you've made the decision going in, we're not doing anything in Texas. Yeah, we won't, yeah that's, you know, I think the way we looked at it, Keith and I both, you know, Keith, obviously, me at the Woodlands, and me being it since I got to Kingwood, my first couple of years at Kingwood, I took just our Kingwood guys as summer team to the Texas-based stuff. And we were really successful. Like, we won my first year out. We won, I think, the Plano draw. We came in second at the bitter. Like, we were in championship games, same, rolled in the fall, same way, I think, championship games in two, we didn't win either, but we are in the championship like, Keith could do the same if he put all his Woodlands guys together and go off and be successful. So right. when we were putting Iron Horse Austin or Houston together, we were like, how are we going to differentiate? What are we going to do? And here, why? here's why we're going to do it. Like, we're not going to play Texas-based stuff because, truth be told, you can be pretty successful with just your high school program. If you got a good high school program, you can go off and be successful with those things. Well, and the, the, the Texas... You can confirm this. This is a theory I have. There's a couple tournaments that, that are played in Texas that allow you some berth in some national championship, right? Yeah. So it almost feels like there's teams that cherry pick those tournaments, yeah. figuring, well, Dallas or Texas teams are weaker. Yeah. We can come in, right? Yeah. And, and I, and I don't even know on. that that's super true or not true, but it's Keith and I talked about like, those teams are all the same teams. You go to the draw, you go to the bidder, you go to the whatever. It's the same thing over It's the over. same. You're going to see Legacy, you're going to see 91, you're going to see Stick Star, you're going to, it's all the same teams. Right. And we don't want to see that. So, and we fully recognize going in that, like, we're not going to be for everybody. We know that there are kids out there who don't want to drop the same $1,600 plus travel in the fall that they did in the summer. But we're okay with that. Like, we're never going to have a B team. Sorry, we're never going to put together two teams in the age group. We don't care. We've said it. We will send out one team. If we don't have that one team, maybe we'll combine with another age group. But we're not going to send out two teams because how do you split those kids? Right. And how do you look at 45, 50 kids and go, are we going to put a B team together? No. We're going to split them evenly. Now our team's not as good as it could be. So we're just not going to do that. So we are a out-of-state team. At one team per age, and that's it. How many teams did you have this past summer? How many ages? Every age group we offered, so we had 26 through 20. So I think seven teams. I think we have seven teams this fall. Um, we are down 27 to 21 this fall. We expect to be the same this summer. And, you know, I think, like I said, we, there have been a whole bunch of parents who have, I've had the conversation with. They're like, well, we don't want to do this. I'm like, okay, I'm all right with that. Yeah. Like, we're not going to be for everybody. Like, we don't want to travel in the fall. Well, have you had that discussion with Kingwood parents? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and therein lies the rub, right? We always hear all hear the horror stories of, you know, the 
the off-season teams that are built on the backs of regular season teams, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, it's not mandatory, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? Dude, I've cut 15 Kingwood guys from our Iron Horse yeah. team. Like, I'm sorry. Like, what do we do? Like, and that's where I think, like, a guy like you and I and the guys you've already had on the podcast, when you're sitting in the room and you're doing what's best for lacrosse, sometimes that's going to hurt your personal programming. It's going to hurt your personal ego, whatever it is. Right. Like, and I've had to have that tough conversation with parents. Like, listen, I'm sorry. I wish he, I could have, I'm an evaluator in this group like anybody else. Like, I, honestly, looking at him, he's the seventh best attackman we had out there. We're taking five. What do you want me to tell you? Right. He's not fast enough. He's not strong enough. He doesn't have good enough stick. He didn't shoot the ball well enough. You name it. Well, I just thought, you thought what? I was going to give it to you? I don't give it to you on my team. Like, I'm sorry. Right. Why would it be different? Just here? the way it goes. And that's a tough conversation, but. And we had some teams get throttled to summer. The other thing that we have said that we are going to be is we are never going to put our teams in a B-team bracket. We will play in the highest bracket play of up. every tournament we go in. Like, you go to the Denver shootout and you go in the double-A bracket, welcome to the real world, boys. And whole, our, some of our boys were like, whole, big old eyes. Like, like, you walk on the field, I feel so bad. I didn't travel with our youth. I traveled with high school guys this past summer because I was coaching 22s, my 20s. So our, we go up to the Sweet Lax Invitational in Rochester, New York. This is, we're talking big boy tournament. There's 175 coaches at this tournament. Every field is lined with 30 dudes. Our poor little group of 22s. And the 22s historically in the city of Houston, not a stellar class. Love them all to death. They're all great people. We're just not super deep here. So we get up to this, this week last tournament, and we're playing two-way out of Connecticut. Two-way out of Connecticut is all reclassed kids who go to the private schools in Connecticut. I walk on the field. I go, yo, y'all are on the wrong field. Like, this is a 22 team. I'm talking 6'5", 210, across the board. Dudes with calves like mine. I'm like, my poor little babies over here are not going to be able to handle this. This is going to be tough. Our, our eighth graders who went out to Denver in the double-A bracket at Denver, you know, playing Denver Elite and some of the best teams in the country. Oh, stomping. Phone call at the end of that tournament. Hey, we're in the wrong bracket. Yes, no, we're not. We're in the right bracket. You know what needs to happen? You need to get better. Yep. And that's the conversation yep. I'm having with the parents. Well, you know, we just want to play in a really good team. You're on a really good team. You're just not as good as you think you are because you've never played a team outside of Texas that's really good. Like, I'm sorry. And I had that conversation 35 times this summer. Like, and we went back to back. Our youth went Denver and Vail last summer. Like, literally, three days in Denver, drive to Vail, four days in Vail. In between, they're like, can you get a switch to brackets? I'm like, no. We're not going to switch brackets ever. Figure it out. Get better. Did you, have, did you have families or kids peel off as a result of that? This fall, we did, yeah. yeah. You know, I, had, I had the conversation with them this fall. Like... We are about making your kids better and getting them ready for college lacrosse. If that's not what you're looking for, again, we're not for you, and we're okay with that. We had a bunch of I mean, We went from we had 100 and like 200 over 200 kids tried out for the summer team last summer. We had like 170 tryouts this fall. We knew we were going to lose some because of fall football and stuff. Kids just don't do it. Um, but I think we had like 122 registered for the fall for the summer teams total. We're like 117 right now. For, so we dropped off. We got a different bunch of kids. 
we had a bunch of kids who you know couldn't play with us in the summer because they were already committed to other teams. But like the word, I think the word's starting to get out there. Like here's what we're gonna be. Right. We fully recognize that might not be for you, but this is who we are. We're gonna go and we're gonna get our butts kicked a whole bunch of times, but it's gonna make you better. You know, we talked we talked earlier briefly about the myth of going off for one year in college and then coming back, which has happened a lot, yep. a lot. I attribute part of that to if you only go up a couple of times in your recruiting career to go play in some of these things and you happen to get seen in the one half of the game that the coach happened to see you play and then you went to their showcase at, at campus, you've never really seen high-level lacrosse. You've never really seen what it takes day in and day out to be high-level lacrosse. That's where I think our kids struggle. That's where I think it's the special kid who goes on and is successful or who sticks it through for four years because it's a different level. Like, it is such a different level um, that our kids, some of those kids have never seen before. Like, yeah, I'm really good here. I'm really, really good in Texas. Well, I'm going to get on a team with 50 dudes who are all really, really good from wherever they were. Now what does it take to be, what does it take to stay on this team? Now now the effort I was given to be really good ain't good enough anymore. That's, that's one thing I'd like to do with, with this podcast is start to reach out to some of those boys oh, yeah. that have gone off, yeah. right, and are, are playing and having successful college careers yeah. from Houston and from yeah. Texas yeah. and pick their brains. Yeah. Why are you successful and when other people aren't? What are you yeah. doing differently? What, yeah. what, did, you know, what did your coaches at you know, high school Where? XYZ in Houston, what did they do, right, yeah. or did they do anything? Yeah. Or was it yeah. despite them <laughs> that you're yep. successful, yep. right? <laughs> yeah, but it's, it happens out there all the time. So that's how you know. And that's what that's where you know the Iron Horse Houston thing came from, and how we got to where we kind of are and where we're hoping to go is, you know, we want to kind of separate ourselves. And you know, and the other side of us is I don't care who else you play for. Like, yeah. if you want to play for 17 teams, great. Play for 17 teams, man. Run around. I mean, I, you're gonna be tired as shit, but I run encourage, around. <laughs> I mean, I, I encourage my boys that play for me. Yeah. Go so a go get coached by somebody else. Get a, get a different opinion. And by yeah. the way, when you when you learn something cool and you come back, yeah. tell me. Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say it all the time. Like, I don't want to be the only voice you ever hear Absolutely playing lacrosse. Like, I don't know it all. I don't want to know it all. I want that guy to know it all. Yeah. Like, go learn from him. Distill that information. Oh. Oh. We're coming. We're coming. Man, we're getting kicked out of the Houston Public Library. Seriously, we got the place till ten. <laughs> we got twelve minutes. Back up there, Johnny. A security guard, <laughs> public library. Who <laughs> no, no, Yeah, I, think, I don't know whether I feel good about that or bad about that. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. All right. I guess we. <laughs> I guess we have to be done. We can keep going, but I, we could, but I don't think there's an option. Here. He looked pretty serious. We gave the lead. The knock and the lean. I appreciate you coming out and talking to I'm me. I'm glad we did it. Like, like I said, man, I, I have a blast doing this yeah. myself. I learned so much. Yeah. And uh, I think Donnelly put it best. He's like, we, something happened and we were talking about something. I think we both agreed. Who, who cares if anybody listens, right? <laughs> yeah. We had fun. That's right. It was a good, good evening. Yeah, yeah. That was good stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks yeah. for coming. No, thanks for having me.